0: In our study on Sunday night, we're going through the book of Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, and we've now arrived to chapter five. So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to chapter five. It's good to have with us a visitor here tonight, Lynn Looney, who is uh, going to be making a trip, hopefully soon. Uh, he know uh, he, I know he hopes he probably is uh, to Indonesia, starting. Planning churches, so y'all, you know, need to be in prayer for him, and he's from Alpharetta, right, and uh, Independent Baptist Church over there that sends out missionaries from their church, and so we are thankful for this and the work that they do. So uh, let's look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, ber- uh, beginning with verse 1, and then we'll read through verse 11. It says, now as to the times and the epochs. Brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourself know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pains upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just pray for your grace and its sufficiency to take its effect in this service in a very special and unique way as only you can. Enlighten our minds and our hearts to your truth. Use me as that vessel in delivering your message. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will, uh, your spirit will just deal with our hearts in the manner that you would so see needed to be dealt with, and I pray that we will heed to whatever direction you're giving us, um, however you're working in our lives, and I pray that we will go out rejoicing in your name, in you, because of allowing you to work in our hearts and our lives the way you so desire, and may we be effective this week uh, for your kingdom and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. What will happen next? Paul has just clarified as he taught the believers at Thessalonica earlier when he founded the church. He answered their question in chapter 4 concerning the rapture, being caught up. And so that's what the rapture comes from, Latin term. It means being caught up. And they want more clarification, though, concerning the end-time events. Isn't it amazing that we say, well, you know, let's don't talk about end-time events because people can't understand it. You know, they, they're just biblically uh, illiterate today, and so they, they, just don't, they, they just don't know about the Bible and they can't understand it. Well, here was a young church. Here was a new church, and he had shared with them about the end times. And so what was going to happen? You know, we as people today, and especially in a pandemic like we are in now, a lot of people are wondering about, more so wondering about, I guess, believers are at least, uh, the end times. You know, the last century experienced the terror of two world wars, We, you know, we saw, we heard about the great, terrible uh, Holocaust, the Korean conflict, the Vietnam War, the Persian Gulf War, 9-11 that happened just not too long ago. There also have been numerous revolutions, riots, acts of terrorism, and other violent acts. Now, a crucial question is, where is history going? We're wondering that today, just like they were wondering, where is history going? Does it have a purpose? Does it have a goal? Does it have a meaning? Is it meaningless? Is it endless? Uh, an endless succession of events going nowhere, as some t- teach. I know that we do have circles. Uh, there's these cycles of events, but some some. Uh, professors teach that it's just you know hey that's happened before it's just an endless uh, process and and you'll you'll see that throughout life life doesn't mean anything well with uh, such chaos and, and confusion in the world what does that mean for our day and time what does it mean for us living today Hendrickus burkhoff in this book christ The meaning of history said, our generation is strangled by fear, fear for man, for his future, for direction in which we are driven against our will and desire. And out of this comes a cry for illumination concerning the meaning of the existence of mankind and concerning the goal to which we are directed. It is a cry for an answer to the old question of the meaning of history. What is the meaning of history? Paul had included in his end time that it is not an endless cycle. That it has meaning. In the end time teaching, there's coming a day of wrath. As we've talked about, he talked about the rapture and the church being removed, the catching away of believers before this awful time that he's talking about, the day of the Lord in chapter 5. This day of the Lord consists of seven years or three, and a half, divided into three and a half. And then at the end of these seven years of wrath and judgment will come the Lord, his second coming. The day of the Lord. They will intensify these these, uh, judgments and all. Until uh, right at the end when he comes back. And he'll come back to rule and reign. There'll be the great war Armageddon. But then there'll be the millennial. And where Satan is, is bound for a thousand years. And then released at the end of a thousand years. And then there'll be the great judgment. Great white throne judgment. So. These are some of the events that Paul was talking with these believers about. These Thessalonians, though, just like us, they wanted clarity. I mean, it's, not, you know, it's difficult in understanding the end times. I, you, you have to read the Old Testament prophecies and the, the New Testament teachings and pull them together. And, and, and it's very difficult for anyone. Even Bible scholars will tell you that our experts in certain areas that it's difficult to understand everything about the end times. But we have the word of God. And God has left that with us. He has given it to these who have written it down so that we could have it, so that we could understand more and more. And these believers wanted clarity. It was interesting to know that that you know the the end times included meaning for life and and they had received this meaning through Jesus Christ once they came to faith in Christ and, and had received forgiveness for their sins and were born into that community of believers. And now they had meaning in life. They had a hope. And, and they wanted to know more about this. They had just been told, as I said, about the rapture. And they needed to know what was the reason for the rapture. And this is why Paul is saying, he's saying, well, the rapture is going to be caught uh, catching away of the church where there will be wrath and judgment upon Israel and the nations during that time. So Paul was not hesitant to speak about the end time events, which included the wrath of God. Isn't it a shame that so many churches today are are afraid to mention that? Afraid to mention that God would judge anybody or anything? Paul told them about this day of the Lord. Too many preachers today strive to be positive, and there's nothing wrong with being positive and being affirming and, and comforting. Nothing wrong with that. That's good to a point. But to preach the whole counsel of God means one must speak about the wrath of God. The sad thing is that preachers rarely preach on the, God's wrath, His vengeance, you know, His, his judgment. And to ignore this subject in our preaching means to shrink away from declaring the whole purpose of God. In Acts 20:27, 20, we're told that. It is forsaking the responsibility of the preacher to preach as we are told in Second Timothy to preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke exhort with great patience and instruction in other words preach the whole counsel of god scripture continually warns of god's judgments and eternal punishment of for unbelievers and judgment was a major emphasis of both the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. And the one who spoke the most about judgment. Who do you think that is? Jesus himself. So Paul followed Christ's teaching as all preachers should. Now Paul had, had, had preached a sobering truth about the day of judgment of the Lord or the day of the Lord. To the Thessalonians earlier. And that's why they were asking for this clarification. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. You can find out about that. After he left, questions arose. Pertaining to the end time events. And in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul tells them. Answers their questions about the rapture. The catching away. Now in chapter 5. He's dealing with the day of the Lord. Now, since the church is going to be called away at the rapture, which will, you know, uh, be at the beginning of the tribulation, and what will happen after that? What does it mean to escape the day of the Lord? And this is a time that Paul spoke of where God's wrath and his judgment will be displayed. So what does he say about that? First of all, he says, avoid date. Setting. Look in verse one. Now it's to the times and the epochs, brethren. You have no need of anything to be written to you. Note that Paul refers to the times and the epochs, the dates. In other words, in verse one, he's referring to times and seasons. And here Paul is not writing about actual twenty-four hours or specific dates. He's referring to period of time. When certain events will take place. In other words, <clears throat> all three refers to the end times. The only time that it's used in the Bible, three times, all three times refers to the end times. Daniel two twenty one and Acts one seven and here. And the Thessalonian believers seem to be curious about the timing that is involved with these end time events. And we are also, it's been, it's been the curiosity of many throughout history. William Miller, who was born in uh, Pittsfield, Massachusetts on Fef- February 15, 1782. He was considered an upright, sincere Christian. Who believed in the reality of the second coming of Christ the second advent of Christ. And he decided that he could find out and he would know when it would occur. And so he set a date where he believed it would occur, 1843 to 1844, sometime in that period. Well, guess what? You know it didn't happen, did it? (laughs) And what became of that? Many of them were disappointed. And so... The period passed, no Christ return, so Miller didn't seem to learn anything from this incident, or learn that much. For he went back to trying to predict when the Lord would return. So he says October the twenty second, eighteen forty four. Guess what? Didn't happen that day either. So many followed Miller, and and they were disappointed and. Uh, shortly after his second prediction, he died and many of them dispersed because they were so disappointed in Christ not coming. It's dangerous to set dates. Scripture even teaches us not to do this. For no one knows. And so one reason Paul had to clarify the end times and, and the confusion on the part of, of the believers uh, at Thessalonica Uh, Concerning this is that they were probably wondering, you know, what would happen and when would it happen this day of wrath. And so Paul first tells them, well, you don't have to worry about it. The rapture is going to occur before this. But the church and the church would not have to go through that horrible and terrible uh, time. Then he tells them that the day would come, though, that some people would have to experience God's wrath. Paul does mention some signs relating to the second coming of of the Lord. But he doesn't set any dates. There's no dates that you won't find any dates given to let them know when it will occur. Only signs leading up to it. It is a dangerous and, and foolish thing to set dates. And we can know of signs that will happen prior to christ returning to earth but we cannot know the time or the day and may i say this is uh concerning christ's return these signs these are not r- referring to the rapture so the rapture could occur at any time matter of fact you say well a lot of these things are happening and boy they're they're with uh, uh rapidity with with rapidness with with uh Uh, you know, birth pain type uh, uh, rapidness there. They're occurring today, yes, and that is a foreshadowing. That's a shadowing of of these uh, events when they will occur, but they'll uh, occur even faster than this during that time. They'll just be one right after another that will occur. And we can see this, and these can be a shadow of saying, hey, you know, it's not far away, we believe. Well, what should we do? He says, just be ready. Live as though you're ready. Live as though the Lord is coming back every day. That's the thing about it. You know, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So live as though he's coming back tomorrow. That means giving your whole heart, your whole life to him. Living kingdom type of living. You know, going about having that kingdom type of living, that mentality, that praying that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'll never forget the, the story, and, and it just, just blessed my heart by one of the preachers I grew up with. And he uh, he told this story about the, the coming of the Lord again, and, and he said uh, there was this... Um, place for uh, children who, uh, you know, had special um, effects or, or problems and difficulties and, and learning. And, and uh, this one boy, they came to this, this place and they were looking it over and everything. And all the other children were kind of busy about their, uh, their business. And, and he noticed this one boy standing over at the window, this little kid. And he was pressing his face up against the window. And the, the man that was uh, looking to see whether it would be worthwhile to keep this home going and this place going, asked the uh, director, he said, what's wrong with that, you know, that kid? Doesn't he ever move away and play and have any interactions with the other kids? He says, yes, sometimes. But most of the time, he's at the window. He said, why? What's wrong with it? He said well we teach the bible here and we teach the full bible and we teach that the lord is coming back and he believes the lord is coming back and he's hard it's hard to pull him away from the window for he's looking for his return we should live not looking out the window every day but looking i mean going about our business prepared going to work knowing and realizing That God is coming back one day, so we're going to do the best we can that day at work for the Lord. We work as unto that boss, indirectly. We work as unto the Lord. And that boss benefits by that. Going to school and giving it the best we can, because we're doing it as unto the Lord. Going about our, our families as unto the Lord, because... We realize that he deserves that and more. And that's the least we can do in serving him. So be ready. For yourselves know the day of the Lord is that time when God will come to judge the world and punish the nations. The day that Paul is referring to, as I said earlier, is not that 24-hour period, but the time period mentioned by the Old Testament prophets like uh, Zephaniah. It says, near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming, very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day. A day of trouble and distress. A day of destruction and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. It's clear that the Old Testament prophet is speaking of an extended period of time when God will judge. The wicked. And he'll judge them directly. Just like in Isaiah 13, he talks about this. It is in contrast to what we are operating in today as the day of grace or the the church age, as some call it. Though God may choose to judge men today, he is what? Long suffering. And we can be thankful for that that in his wrath and judgment because it's not. Fully poured upon us as it will be to the disobedient unbelievers during that day. But people will scoff about it. People will blaspheme the Lord. Because they don't realize. And these people are the people that are unbelievers who, who are living in darkness. And unfortunately some believers who are carnally living will not believe in this. And uh, Peter, even Second Peter tells us, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But what they don't realize is that God, in his long suffering, has allowed this to happen so that that pinner, that, uh, that uh, sinner could repent. It says, uh, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in 2 Peter chapter 3. Paul describes also what it will be like. He illustrates the uh, suddenness and the surprise involved in the day, in the coming of the Lord. But he also tells them the contrast that's going to be there. And letting them know that the believers will not be a part of this. In Revelation 3.3 and 16.15, John also uses the image to warn believers not to be caught uh, napping. Paul is basically telling Thessalonian believers that no one will know the time when the Lord will come for his people. So we must live in constant uh, alertness with that attitude of watching and waiting while we are busy working and witnessing. Paul has told the believers at Thessalonica about the coming of the Lord for his church. And he has also told them that there would be a period of suffering and tribulation on the earth following this catching away. The times and the seasons. It relates to Israel and the nations during the time That will be there in the tribulation. Those who are unbelievers. It does not apply to the church. I don't believe that in any way. I believe that he's already explained that in chapter 4. The day of the Lord as Paul describes it here. Describes a time of wrath. Of of purging if you will. The primary thought here is that Paul reminds his readers. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. In other words, believers were to know what was to happen, while unbelievers will be caught by surprise because they have refused, not because they didn't have a chance, but because they have refused the gospel. They have refused the grace of God. The the suddenness of these events will reveal to the world its ignorance of divine truth. And then he gives us a contrast here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 3-5. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren... Are not in darkness that the day will overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Now look at that. They, them, you, we. You see how he changes there? That's the contrast there between the believers and the unbelievers. After the church has been raptured from the world... There will only be unbelievers left. And as I mentioned earlier, it's because they chose not to believe. They had their chance. They rejected it. They even scoffed at it. Many have scoffed at it, and many will. The blind world will be enjoying the time of false peace and security that he mentions just before These events occurred during the tribulation. There'll be a contrast throughout this section between this. As he explains that they will not be a part of it. They and us, uh, you know, that contrast there between believers and unbelievers. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. Paul tells us that there will be a false sense of peace and safety with them before the coming of the Lord. Kind of like in Noah's day. The lost world will be caught by surprise. It will be, in other words, business as usual. It will be just like today. They will be carrying on business as usual And many will be scoffers saying, oh, that story, we've heard it so many times. It's never happened yet. And Paul tells us that with this, the reason is that they refuse to heed God's warning and receive God's word. Just like in the day of Noah. There is a false sense of security and safety. You know, we... Sometimes we can't imagine people not taking heed to God's warnings, can we? Wars, rumors of wars. We say we look at it from the spiritual sight, and we forget about the people that are dead in their trespasses and sins, who cannot see this. We forget how we were, and so they, you know, we see all this hatred, murders, uh, evil, uh, rampant sexual immorality. You know, uh, acceptance of many immoral lifestyles, plagues and earthquakes increasing, and it seems like, and floods, uh, uh, frequent storms, economic disasters uh, all around us. Children rebelling against parents, family members constantly fighting each other. A deliberate falling away from the truth and the true kingdom living. And people can't see this because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're blind to it. It's really, is really—is it really that hard for us to understand as believers and to accept? Many believers do not want to accept this. We still live in the age of grace where we have the Holy Spirit restraining the evil one a great deal. And this restraint will be removed during the... Tribulation because the church will be gone. That's where the Holy Spirit lives in us today. And so uh, we're seeing shadows of the end uh, time events and warning signs being deeply cast before us today. We see more and more people falling away though from the church than ever before. You know in the late 60s and 70s. We had, I was talking with Tim the other day. We had the last big movement that I can recall called the Jesus Movement. It was a spiritual movement, some called an awakening, and it's something that I'd never experienced before and and never have since. During that time, I was saved. Since then, it seems like the church has become more and more routine rather than having a life that is radical as far as living differently than society. Churches. They become more and more dependent. Upon programs and ministries. Which the ministries and programs are fine. But when we become dependent, more dependent upon those. Than we do the Holy Spirit. There's something wrong. Because of this. We've been falling away from church. You know uh, from the church. And members have been leaving. And there's been a disenchantment with church among nonbelievers. You read any book concerning the uh the nuns, and uh this is a lot dealing with those today, not just the millennials, but all that have fallen away from the church and what they say about it. And uh, you know, You see that church; these members are disenchanted with the church, so what has the church done? They've overreacted trying to make the church become so pleasant to them and so pleasing to them that it's become just like the culture in many cases. Not all, but many cases. We read about these perfect, uh, purpose-driven churches, which, if it's driven the right way, that's fine. But if we're using these purpose-driven churches to bring these people in from our culture by becoming like our culture, with our music, with our, you know, with everything in here, activities and everything else, making it fun, making it jo- enjoyable, you know, making it where. They, they won't leave us because we have all these activities that are fun and exciting, then we are missing the boat. We're, do, we're going about it the wrong way. We compromise. And by compromising, we lose. I mean, the Spirit is there, but we lose its power because we're deciding to work on our own instead of by the power of God. And what comes from that? Weaker marriages, weaker families, weaker committed believers, weaker Christians in the workplace. In comes a crisis like we have, and what happens? Does it bring us to our knees? Does it br- bring people into church? The people say, hey, man, I'm going to get back into church and I'm going to worship. Praying that God would open up the doors where we can come back and and we can all gather together? No, many are saying, well, you know, God's a a loving God and God wouldn't judge us that way or He wouldn't work in something like that. But you know, if God is a loving God, then more than likely He'll use any means and this means to bring us to our knees and bring us back to Him. Sad news is that I recently heard some stats from the Barna Group, and I want you to listen to these. It just broke my heart. They're saying that they interviewed these people, and you go as far as you want to with these stats, but one-third of all evangelicals who've been out of church because of this COVID-19, one-third that they interviewed would more than likely not come back. But get this. Not only that, but more than one-third will not care to listen or watch their worship on YouTube or Facebook. And I heard somebody say, well, I can see that because I can see where we're such a professional high tech group that if a worship service is just a worship service and it's just one camera picking up the preacher why listen to him is poorly used compared to what david jeremiah out in california i'm not taking away from him but in his big church he has all these cameras He can zoom in over here, he can zoom in over there, he can work here, and it's very professional. So if I am going to watch a program, I'd probably watch that, if I do. But more than likely, I've got other things to do better than that, to take up my time. You say, well, why is this? Well, they also go and say, Barna Group says that it takes at least nine weeks to establish a habit. Now people, how long have most churches been outside their worship group? Plenty of time to form a habit of not coming and not coming back. Well, you say, well, you know, people are going back to work. Children are going back to school. Yeah. They're going back to work because it operates kind of like law. And what does the church operate like or under grace? I mean, before this COVID, it was difficult enough to encourage people to come and try to get people here. Ask Daniel and others who had all these, uh, you know, we worked together and had all these activities. How many people really got excited about coming? All these outreach things that we did. I mean, it was hard enough then. But now, it's a lot different. You see, we, we operate... By the transforming within. They operate by the conforming without. And so they can make people come back. But we rely on God to deal with their hearts. And that depends upon them allowing God to work in their life. While they're saying peace and safety... Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor darkness. People will be living independently of God just as they are today in rejection of Him and His word. What they don't realize is that they're about to see God, His authority, His power, and His wrath as never before. Peace and safety has given them a false feeling of no alarm and no threat from God or His people. The world will have turned a deaf ear to the repeating warning of the coming judgment. Now, will people be saved during that time? Certainly they'll be saved. But for the most part, even with all of this wrath, even with all of this judgment, people will be doing this, turning a deaf ear to these warnings. Paul compared this coming judgment to travail upon woman with child, he says. It will be sudden just like a woman's birth pains. Not only that, Paul also tells the believers at Thessalonica, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should not overtake you like a thief. The day of the Lord will come suddenly and take unbelievers by surprise. But not so for the believer. It shouldn't be that way. They should be prepared. You, used in verse 4, contrast with them in verse 3. The word brethren further emphasizes Paul's point. Unlike unbelievers, the believers mentioned here will not experience that day for they had been raptured up. But also, believers are not in darkness. Children of God possess an entirely different nature. They're not children of the night. They don't belong to Satan's evil kingdom anymore. The children of darkness are people who are included in in both intellectual and moral darkness, it involves not knowing and not doing what is right. Ephesians 2, 1-3 explains it. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as rest. But not so now. You are children of light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Because the believer's nature is distinct from the unbeliever, the believer should not fear the day of the Lord and think that it will overtake them as a day of darkness. When the wrath of God is unleashed on the unbeliever, the believer can be assured That he will be in the Lord's hands. Under his protection. And we're going to bring it to a close here with this. I want you to understand that this day, the day of the Lord, is coming. And we as believers who are in this day of of grace the church age, we can be assured that the Lord has promised us, as Paul has explained in chapter 4, that we'll be called away. Now there will be believers who will come to know the Lord during that time who will be in the midst of it. But even at that, God will protect them. There will be a a special security and there will be an assurance that God is with them during that time as they trust in him. So what should we do? Well, with all of these things that are happening, we should be steadfast in our faith. Trusting God. Honoring Him. And above everything else, wanting every day for His return to occur. But living it, not only as though He's coming back that day, but knowing that living it that way we will be honoring Him and glorifying Him. And that's what our purpose is. It's not about us. It's about Him and His glory. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I just want to thank You that You placed us here as a church, as a community of believers. And I know it's difficult during this time and I know that Satan is at work and I know that he uh, desires for uh, the church not to function the way that it should. But I also know that that you're in charge. And as we were talking earlier, and like my brother, uh, Mr. Looney, uh, shared, it didn't catch you by surprise. You know what's happening. You know what's going to happen. And so, Lord, as you are in control... I pray that you'll give us the assurance help us in our steadfastness help us be faithful to you and lord may you put a desire in our heart as we seek you with all of our heart and with all of our soul to serve you faithfully and to bring honor and glory to your name as we walk with you each and every day and may we reach out to those that are in darkness knowing what is ahead for each and every one that not only that That day of the Lord where there will be judgment during the tribulation, but the great white throne judgment one day for all lost people. Where they'll never have another chance. They'll be judged for their sins and cast into the lake of fire forever. Lord, help us to realize that. And may we try and get the word out. And may you use us. And may your spirit convict them. And may something that we say or something that we do and... And how we present it, help in them seeing your love and your grace that's there for them. And may they surrender their lives to you. Help us to be faithful in that. That great commission that you called us to to do. And help us to be faithful by beginning in our homes and in our churches and expanding out. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.